All right, Karthik, let's start by introducing our audience to yourself and Rent Mola. Absolutely. Uh, Shramana, thanks for having me on this call. I really appreciate this opportunity. So I'm Karthik Manimozi. Um, I'm the CEO of Rent Mola. It's a Vancouver headquartered company. Um, it's a fintech. Uh, we are based out of Vancouver, but we serve uh, global customers. Uh, most importantly, we serve 400 cities here in North America. So we uh, were founded in 2013, initially focused on solving the problem of collecting rents. Um, there are obviously disparate ways of doing that, um, you know, over cash over counters, checks, money orders, and so on. We were able to provide an online solution for it in 2013. However, the company and the business has grown significantly. Uh, today we support over 243-plus large uh, property managers and we have over 250,000 units under management, and we have been growing um, pretty aggressively through the years. Our net revenue is growing around 240% year over year. Um, and uh, the key to that growth is really focusing heavily on two stakeholders. We have the landlords and we have the renters. So the landlords essentially are looking for a platform, and everything for them is around risk mitigation and revenue lifecycle management. So they want a platform where they can reliably collect the rent on time, match forecast the collection, and so on and so forth. So we provide a variety of services to the landlords, everything from tenant screening, tenant application, ability to access insurance, um, and also a variety of reporting capabilities on the platform, and then allow them to collect um, 360 degree methods of payment. And we seamlessly integrate the, uh, the payment uh, information, both the, uh, the, the charges as well as the actual payments that they consult them into their system of record. Uh, and we also offer things like tenant communication platform uh, as well as, uh, uh, you know, working capital and so on. On the tenant side, uh, we provide a whole range of services, allowing them to do everything from search for the right apartment, submit an application, go through tenant screening, and get ahead of the application, uh, in the U.S. in particular, we are working to provide security deposit alternatives, which has a big impact on the tenants. So instead of trying to put up three to five months rent in advance, they could actually buy uh, a bond, uh, which is as low as $200 per year, uh, that allows them to, uh, to cover the risk of security deposit instead of putting up cash. We provide rental insurance access and obviously 360-degree payments. And we also, uh, in Q4, are unveiling a new solution where the, as part of the checkout, apart from using their bank accounts, their credit cards, debit cards, um, you know, in-cash payments in 85,000 retail locations that we can automate on our platform, we also provide the option of a checkout credit. Um, the way it works is uh, they can actually select the charges uh, with regards to the apartment, and at the time of checkout, uh, they can access the credit. It's a two-minute process on the platform. Uh, and if they don't qualify for the, the line of credit through our partners, we also have, uh, you know, prime, um, you know, rates, uh, uh, micro-loan program, which we'll be adding to the platform as well. So once the payments are done, we allow the renters to improve their credit scores by reporting their on-time rent and utility payments to the credit bureaus. Uh, that will allow them to, you know, improve their credit score and uh, might come in handy, particularly for tenants in these uh, desperate times, um, they can think about maybe upgrading to a larger apartment or even think about becoming a first-time um, apartment or a homeowner. So we help them through that process. And last but not the least, we have a comprehensive tenant communication pr uh, platform 
that not just uh, allows for seamless communication between the landlord and the community of tenants, it also helps them uh, with other things, like the landlord can advertise and promote local businesses, a very important aspect of supporting your local community and mom-and-pop establishments in your neighborhood. So all of that comes into play. So these are all features um, that we that we provide both to the tenant as well as the the landlords. Um, however, the the real problem I think that we are solving is COVID has really um, created real issues. I think they're very structural, institutional issues, um, but COVID has certainly amplified the impact of those, and certain sections of the population are disproportionately affected by, uh, by COVID than the others. And uh, what we've seen happen since COVID is uh, three waves hitting the rental market. So the wave one, uh, we actually saw that uh, increased demand for automation. It's a no-brainer. Uh, the landlords could not staff their rent offices. The renters required contact-free payments. So there was a real demand for online payment methods and so on. So wave one, fairly predictable, did happen. Uh, and, and in addition, landlords did not want to touch physical things like checks, money orders, and cash for the risk that they may carry pathogens. So it did really throw a lot of, um, um, you know, wrinkles into the day-to-day operations. So we stepped in, so did some of our competitors and partners. The wave two happened around the April-May timeframe. So what we started to see is disrupted economic activity as a result of covid And what it resulted in is a a high level of uncertainty, record unemployment rates, the government support in the U.S. coming in, but it was already on shaky ground. So there was a real fear how long the government would be able to support the renters. So there was real fear there. So people did what they normally do when they fear uncertainty, hold on to cash in their bank accounts. So we saw a 30 to 40 percent increase in renters using credit cards, debit cards, and anything, any line of credit product to actually pay the rent. Um, And then we passed through a few months, um, and COVID still uh, is evolving situation in the rental market. And what we have seen happen the last couple of months is we've hit wave three, in my opinion, of the COVID. Uh, We're entering the cash cliff, definitely uncertainty around unemployment and government support checks coming in. Increasingly, renters are figuring out that when they use their credit cards to pay the rent and utilities, um, they, all they did was just kind of push the problem out 30 to 60 days out. So now they owe the rent, but they also owe it with the interest um, on the credit cards. And, and last but not the least, the, the disrupted economic activity has con- continued to put a lot of pressure on the common households. So one of the features of Wave 2 was, and Wave 1 really, was uh, landlords, the government, the lenders, they're all coming together and providing provisions for deferring your rent. So the renters did benefit by deferring their rent for a period of time, uh, hoping to overcome the uncertainty. And the lenders uh, gave the landlords a bit of a relief so that their mortgage payments were also kind of relieved for a little bit of time. However, what we are finding is that there is $21 billion plus in past due rent that needs to be collected, which uh, puts significant pressure on the uh, common American uh, family households. Uh, and uh, so the are, 21 billion is on your platform, or is it the general global reported number? It's the U.S. number. Uh, U.S. US number. Okay. 21.5 billion in past due rent, mostly deferred rent. Right. How much? Uh, how much on your platform? So we uh, we do over half a billion processing on our platform, and we do over half a million transactions annually on the platform. So over the last 
eight to nine years, we have done billions in processing and millions in transactions. But how much of how much of the uh, past due rent is on your platform that you have direct visibility into? Yeah, so that's a that's a bit of a tricky question because it's a um, you know there are some confidential data we can go into, but mostly what happens here is um, we are providing flexibility to the tenants. In some cases, they use their credit cards and debit cards to pay the rent. Uh, in some cases, they we work on payment plans with the landlords and we get through it. Um, so this you know we have a big exposure in Canada uh, compared to the U.S. So it's a tale of two countries really. So 30%, 35% of our install base is in the U.S., but it's rapidly expanding, and 65% in Canada. So vastly different stories on these two fronts. So the Canadian story is, is much cleaner than the U.S. story? Uh, I would think so. I think that there is a little bit more uh, stability in terms of the, the government support in Canada. And traditionally, the Canadian renters um, you know, use uh, pre-authorized debit and bank transfers more often than credit cards, as a little bit more conservative in my opinion. They do use online platforms, they're definitely tech savvy, but their choice of payments is more around savings and capital uh, you know, bank accounts rather than you know, taking on line of credit products. The US, I think that uh, generally the population is uh, more used to tuned to using credit cards. And a big part of that, apart from the cultural differences and the, the fiscal um, you know, uh, approach to life, is also the fact that the credit cards here provide better cashback uh, opportunities. So it's common practice to kind of pay, uh, take advantage of the uh, cashback and other solutions that the Visa, MasterCards, and others provide, and then make sure that you kind of uh, fill the hole within the 30-day before the interest starts to hit. So there's uh, some behavioral differences between the two markets, for sure. So... Um if I understand correctly, what's happening right now is both the mortgage companies are giving some uh, help, some relief to the property owners, and the property owners are giving some relief to the, uh, the renters, the tenants. And then you have all these other factors like credit card payment, deferred payments, part, part payments, and so on and so forth that are... that are being facilitated in the in this market um, how long is how long is it sustainable it's a it's a pretty dire situation it's in the u.s and in, i guess you only play in the u.s and canada but globally also it's a it's a pretty dire situation right now what um, how long can this go on yeah it's a very valid question uh, Sharmana. i think it goes down to how the systems are set up and the institutions are set up um, so even prior to COVID, 78% of Americans and 53% of Canadians were living paycheck to paycheck. So yeah. an unexpected $300, $400 spend would have thrown them into financial spin already. Right, uh, right. COVID has tremendously amplified. Uh, and I can give you some, some data points. I think it's a very valid question. It's, a, it's one that we all should think about. Um, so last year alone, um, U.S. collected $500 billion plus in rent and utilities, and Canada collected $53 billion plus overall mm -hmm. in the market in rent and utilities. There are an estimated 15 million renters, 43 million roughly in the U.S., 4 million in Canada. That's one in three households are renting, right? So mm -hmm. uh, you're right about some of the relief that came in because it's a, it's a cash flow issue for the landlords. They usually collect the rent, and the rent kind of feeds the mortgages. 
Now, what's happened is the, the relief was mainly a wave two phenomenon. Where we are entering is that dire situation that you, you and I are worried about. Because today, as we stand today, $21.5 billion is past due rent outstanding. And yep. the conversation already has shifted to how do we secure that? Uh, some of the states have passed, uh, you know, anti-eviction laws and so on. But uh, even in, in places like California and around the country, uh, landlords are allowed to proceed with eviction procedures, but there is a moratorium on evictions till January. This is scary, really, because uh, an estimated 5 million renters in the U.S. have said that they are seeing difficulty in how they can afford the November rent. That's over 10% of the renters. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and that is, a, that is something that we need to keep in mind. Uh, the second issue here we have is uh, that 63% of renters have taken drastic steps in the last two months. For example, they've dipped into their savings, or they've sold off their assets, or they've borrowed to keep up on rent. So this is, this is very fickle, this environment. Now, let's talk about the second part of the issue, which I think, uh, you know, is going to put the population under tremendous strain. Uh, it is the fact that most of the lending and the borrowing opportunities, uh, let's call it liquidity, which is very important for these families, are based on credit score. And credit score-based lending could, be, could take different forms, prime lending, subprime lending. Uh, your prime lending can go up to 39.99%, subprime up to 99.99% interest. Um, it kind of exposes a lot of these families a lot of these families are now having to make tough decisions uh, between feeding their kids, fixing their car, um, you know, keeping a roof uh, over their, their family. Uh, this is a very dramatic situation we are in. Um, and then the, there are a record percentage of people who are either underbanked or outside the banking system. So that, I believe, is where we are. And, uh, and this is where I think the institutions – fintechs such as us have to consider, um, you know, bringing in new solutions and also maybe start questioning standard practices, you know, how reliable is credit score in determining the credit worthiness of individuals. Um, there is, it is feared that one in five credit scores has a fault in it. We already know that credit score can discriminate against uh, young Im- uh, immigrants and, you know, people who had a couple of bad incidents in their life who are trying to put their life back well, together. This one is... Uh... This incident, the uh, COVID incident, is not for any fault of their own. It's, this is really something, it's a market failure. Uh, and and uh, I guess the question is how, how, what happens after January, for instance, if the eviction uh, moratorium expires, what happens then? Uh, because this COVID is not done. COVID is going to continue for a while longer and... The- the economic impact, stock market may be doing fine, but the economic, real economic impact is pretty dire. Yeah, it is. And I think you're going to find this is where that different people's fate take different route because the, the renters are not a single monolithic group of people. Right. Uh, we're talking people who live in large cities versus small cities and small towns. Uh, we, are, we have people in different age groups. Uh, and increasingly, you have seniors and uh, it's a multi-generational uh, population. You have people uh, who live in Class A, Class B buildings, and then Class C, Class D buildings. There are people who rely on everything in a single place, like senior living. So there's a, there's, there are different variants of this. And uh, my fear is I think something's got to give here. Um, and uh, and I, 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 
foresee just a prediction from my side, you would increasingly see local government activity, particularly in the U.S., to step up uh, because it's, uh, it's just shifting the problem right now. Because what happens if 40% of the American population are in a fear of eviction? I mean, that increases the strain on uh, the local counties and states and cities trying to handle issues like homelessness and, uh, and yeah. other things that come. So, Absolutely. Um, what you're already, yeah, already, already finding, Srimana, is that the landlords are, are starting to have conversations around, you know, how could we ease the pain? I mean, remember, in the past, particularly if you are in a Class A city, as a landlord, you were in command of the situation. You had record, uh, you, know, uh, you know, rents. You had record level, uh, you know, almost zero vacancy, most of these pieces. Uh, yeah. And even today, uh, when the evictions happen, they will be able to refill those apartments quickly, but that's a very inhumane solution, really. So yeah. I think what we're finding is that the landlords, um, and they're also, uh, you know, we should also be sympathetic to them because they're not just one class of people. There are corporates, there are holdings with a lot of access to liquidity, but the bane of small businesses and families in most of the world today is income inequality, access to proper credit sources. Uh, so most of the time, all they need is a lifeline, and that is liquidity to overcome the adversity. And that's the difference between the Fortune 5000 companies and, and most of the other companies uh, is that access to that capital, the chance to, to kind of redo, right, the second chance of things. That's where they struggle. So what we're finding is the landlords are interested to, to figure out what about payment plans, how do we work with the renters. Uh, I, I, I definitely predict that increasingly the local counties will work with us and others to figure it out. And, and for that reason, we are unveiling our Q4 program as well through our partnerships where uh, it's data-based lending. It's not just prime subprime. Uh, you will see an explosion in alternate lending. We already have companies like Tala who do a phenomenal job out of Santa Monica, hugely uh, you know, influential in, in uh, developing countries in Latin America, India, and Africa. Tala is just one example where they use data other than the credit score to determine the credit worthiness uh, of people. So I think you will see an explosion um, and a complete rethink of how we determine people's intent and capability uh, to borrow and repay debt. And, and that is inevitable. That will happen. And that's one of the solutions that we are packing into our platform today. Uh, we, we, we hope to go, go live in Q4. We have some final stages. We're working through our partnerships. But the idea there is uh, checkout uh, flexibility. So the time of checkout, you can borrow a revolving line of credit that is based on your data and financial history, uh, use as credit score, but only as one of the parameters. And you're able to get a revolving line of credit for low or no interest. So that's one of the things we are looking at. But I think it's going to just take one company. It's, it's got to be a movement, grassroots, grounds up. And that, I believe, creates big opportunities for data-based uh, you know, evaluation and, uh, you, you know, data-based way of creating additional liquidity in the market, something's got to give here, Shumana. I don't think the business as usual is going to cut it. So I have several questions as I'm listening to you, um, and, and I think the questions are different for different segments of your uh, tenant base, let's say. So there is one category that has jobs, right? Even through this, there is a – even in the blue-collar uh, sector, 
some some segments are still doing well, right? The delivery workers, the essential workers, they have jobs. Uh, you know, there may, uh, in some cases, there are companies like Walmart and so forth. They use these new fintech solutions like PayActive and earning for payday. You know, like um, advances on on their on the uh, on their pay. You know, the workers' pay. Are you familiar with this? Uh, trend? Yeah, yeah, payday lending. So, so these guys are. It's not payday lending so much. It's more like, uh, you know, these companies get to uh, these uh, employees get to borrow against their paycheck. Basically, get, uh, you know, before that paycheck is due, they can get advance payment and stuff like that. So that's there's a bit of a, um, you know, guarantee that okay, these guys have jobs. These companies are not laying off, and and so yeah. you know payment terms and stuff. You can factor these kinds of things into, and and that's one segment. This is the segment that does have jobs, and the jobs are most likely are in relatively stable sectors. Like delivery workers are doing well because delivery workers have become essential workers. You know, that's just an example. There are other categories like that, um, but then there is a category that is really you know completely zapped, right? These guys are really in a dire situation. They don't have jobs, and, and, and it will take a while for the economy to recover and them to get back on their feet. So they probably need some solution for the next 12 to 18 months while the economy gets back on its feet. What happens to them? Have you, do you have any solution for them? Yeah, I think generally what, what, we, what we're seeing here is, is multiple layers of reality. For example, um, there is a, definitely a population who are employed versus a, a pop, set of population who have been really made redundant. Um, you know, airlines and other industries come to mind, right? Uh, and it's a very valid point. But it's also a factor of, you know, um, yeah, going back to uh, what is the type of pay that they're making and what is the burden of rent. Like the golden rule is that you don't spend more than 30% of your pre-tax income on rent. Uh, but in larger cities, we have seen that those numbers are easily around 50% pre-tax income on rent. Um, mm-hmm. So we, we, are, we are seeing a, a, a financial crisis intermingled with a health crisis. Uh, it, it is very, very um, muddled, the picture right now. So you're going to find, you know, the, the, the whole topic of, you know, income inequality comes into play as well. You can mm-hmm. be working jobs, but that, does that, you know, what, what is your free cash? And does that free cash, uh, you know, um, support your rent and your other utilities and other payments? And, you know, rent is just one of the, the primary needs. Food right. is another. Right. Healthcare is a, so um, whichever way you slice and dice it, you are going to find, uh, you know, a, a, a tale of different fates depending on people's demographics, their cities that they live in, uh, and so on. So we as a platform, what we try to do is uh, provide some level of uh, flexibility. There is no silver bullet to the situation. It's going to require uh, the whole village to work towards uh, the betterment of the community. And maybe it's also time to look at some of the systemic things uh, and so on. You know, uh, in many cases, the, the whole framework is working as designed. The problem is it's, it's leaving too many people outside of the framework. Uh, because of the record number of underbanked and people outside the banking system. So what we are looking at is uh, our range of, uh, uh, of a landlord portfolio goes from affordable housing 
uh, where we'll probably expect a lot more support from local counties and governments stepping in. Uh, and they also have a responsibility to protect the renters from, from falling prey to predatory lending practices. Let's not forget that, because oftentimes these uh, lenders may blur the line between principle and interest and, and might set up a no-win situation for these already hurting families. So that's one thing we have to take care of. And then you're also finding a mass migration in some cities like San Francisco uh, with the option to work from home. So many people, uh, for the very first time, have decided to leave these large cities to go back to their families and cut down on payments. So uh, one of the ways this reflects in our platform is that for the first time, you know, Class A cities in Vancouver, Toronto, San Francisco, California, New York, uh, there is increasing ads uh, for marketing uh, vacancies. Uh, we're seeing that happen as well. I mean, almost 10% in some of the large cities. So we are seeing, uh, a, you know, another phenomenon coming up here. So in my opinion, I think that the, the, the solution will be very composite, and it also has a time factor to it. So some things that we put to work for the next one, two, three months may be completely you know, out of uh, rhythm well, for the months four, five, and six uh, if, the, if the things don't fundamentally improve. So th this is the question of incremental strain, and, and uh, what we have to worry about is what breaks the camel's back. So... Uh, being an optimist and being a CEO of a fintech company, what we are looking at is how do we provide flexibility? Now, if you have to relocate and, and uh, move to a new building, can we help you not having to come up with three months' worth of rent, which is 9K or 10K? Instead, can you just spend $200 a year uh, and, and give the security deposit alternatives? So that's one way of creating flexibility. The other way is, okay, instead of trying to borrow on your credit card, could you utilize our partner's line of credit? Would you qualify for it, yes or no? That's another way of doing it. Uh, keeping control and kind of leveling the need for financial literacy is going to be key. It's uh, the fintech's responsibility, I believe, to make it easy for people uh, to know uh, the, the, the facilities and how to maintain their score and, and how to get through these issues. So creating intuitive user experiences on the fintech platform is going to be important uh, so that we can level the field so that this multi-generational population uh, with very varied circumstances, education levels, uh, level of uh, tech savviness are not kind of victimized uh, because of who they are and we level the playing field. I think that's a big thing for people to do. So I think this is one of those situations where, like I said, you're going to need a, a range of strategies. And, and they're all intertwined because there is a domino effect. I mean, the, if the record evictions go through, it increases disproportionately the homelessness. Uh, in the, and, and, and your government programs and support programs, costs are going to skyrocket. So uh, the, the issue here is which of these issues should be tackled upstream to prevent the homelessness from happening versus which are the ones you need to be reactive downstream uh, to provide solutions. So we, uh, as a fintech platform, are thinking about it and trying to figure out that leveling the field on financial literacy, providing viable options where you don't, people don't have to put up cash and you give them alternatives, so the, the risk profile does not change. However, the cash out of pocket does change because in most of these situations, it's a cycle, and all people need is to get through this tough period and they will have a second chance at life. And we have to make sure that this financial spiral does not completely consume them. 
and 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 uh, affect them disproportionately. Does it make sense? Yes, uh, Karthik, do you work in Seattle? I'm in uh, uh, San Diego, California. And yes, I'm asking, we, does the company have a portfolio of properties in Seattle? So we we have uh, most of our customers uh, are in California and New York, uh, but uh, we are we are operational in 400 cities. We are expanding in that market. Yeah. So there's a reason why I'm asking you about Seattle. Um, you know, Jeff Bezos has committed some uh, significant amount of money to to prevent homelessness or to deal with address homelessness in Seattle, which I imagine yeah. I'm just I to, I, I imagine that is something that is being tapped into in Seattle to deal with, with their situation. It, exa- all the things that you have described, I think they actually yeah. have ac- access to some resources to be able to deal with it. Um, yeah, and I, I guess, the, the, let me finish the question. The question I'm asking is, is that a model that can be scaled uh, throughout the country um, and, and especially given the size of the and scale of the fortune that Jeff Bezos is sitting on, is that something that can be tapped into to bring some relief to this category through fintech? Absolutely. I think this is a time where compassion comes first. And I think it's time for everybody to, to kind of do their bit to keep the community together. Uh, imagine a lot of these people who, who will become homeless are also clients of Amazon. <laughs> so that's, the, that's, the, that's how intertwined the society is, and that's also the bane for small and medium businesses. A lot of the people whom they employ are also their customers. That's part of the community. So I absolutely agree with you that it's public-private partnerships, governments rethinking the whole system, uh, large financial institutions kind of going back to the drawing board, figuring out what the metrics should be. But I think that the fintechs could be a very compelling force here to kind of really accelerate, be a catalyst, uh, and, and really level the playing field. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, uh, think of the, these large institutions and, and establishments as a system of record. They collect record. They do a lot of work. The fintechs can become very effective systems of engagement, and, and they can collect real-time data, find effective ways of sharing the pain, and also partner increasingly with these large institutions, with governments, uh, with individuals, with nonprofits, to figure out a solution uh, because uh, the need of the hour is compassion. Um, so have you talked to Amazon? Have you talked to Bezos and his Sunday, his, his, whatever his vehicle is for doing this kind of work? I have not, but this is definitely number one on my agenda. Thank you for bringing it to my attention. Good. This, this may be the solution, actually, because there's, you know, right now five people have – a trillion dollar net worth. The combination of five individuals is a trillion dollars worth of capital. That's Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, Bernard Arnault, and Elon Musk. Of these people, Bezos has indicated, he has signaled that he is interested in tackling homelessness. There couldn't be a more urgent problem given COVID there couldn't be a more urgent time to address homelessness. So this may be something that you need to follow up on and, and tie, you know, connect the dots and bring this infrastructure together to tackle homeless at a national scale, not just Seattle, but at a national scale to get through the next 18 months to 24 months. 
absolutely agree with you. Couldn't agree more. I think that uh, this, the timing is right, and uh, in you know th- th- this is a time where I think this is life and death for a lot of the hardworking American families um, because you know financial freedom is very very important, uh, but also you should not be in a position to to have to make difficult choices like uh, do you pay your rent and keep a roof on your family or uh, really feed your family or take care of health care. So definitely a very dire situation, um, and it's uh, also in many ways uncharted. Um, so, yes, absolutely, all hands on deck. And it's also a, a tremendous opportunity for uh, Bezos to put his fortune to work. He has benefited from COVID, so he should, you know, you try, to, try to see if you can connect the dots and give him a technology-enabled vehicle to, to, you know, basically add value by the click of a button, so to speak. This is why fintech is very helpful because, you know, you can't just sit there without a an infrastructure like what you are uh, offering and, and be able to touch all these people. You have to find all these people, understand their rental situations, understand their eviction threats and all of that. But you can provide all of that at the, really at the click of a button and, and be able to figure out exactly here are the million people who are at, you know, under threat of being evicted and he, here's how long they need to be provided relief for, etc. You can provide. You have all that data, and you have the ability to make this thing happen. So it would be great if you can make it happen. Shrimana, that's a fantastic point because at the beginning of the call, I laid out what we do, which is around 240 plus very large landlords across North America, representing quarter of a million units on the platform. We also have quite a bit of uh, you know the data and history around. Uh, eight years of processing, you know, billions in rent and so on. Uh, the other thing we have done, uh, to your point of making it simple for people to access these services, we have made a portable version of our platform, and we have approached other property management and real estate companies uh, to kind of white-label our solution because uh, distribution is everything. I'm happy to, uh, to share with you the last two uh, months, you've signed three major deals uh, mm-hmm. with uh, the property management companies, uh, the prominent one is with the, the Apartment Owners Association of California, where uh, we are white labeling our solution for payments uh, and allowing them. And they have 40,000 landlords uh, in their uh, membership profile, the 240,000 units under management. Uh, so you're right. I think that uh, the, the, the knowledge that we bring in in terms of uh, the renter and the landlord situation um, makes us uh, very valuable. Um, for for partners like uh, Jeff Bezos and, and others who, who want to just uh, kind of step up and help the community. I think we can help accelerate that very quickly. Great. Well, um, you know, if you, if you gain traction with Bezos and or Amazon and, and if something happens, could, could you please shoot me an email and let me know what's happening? Absolutely. I, I will absolutely keep you in the loop and uh, we'll share updates with you as they come. Thank you. I wish you all the best. Thank you, Simona. Take care. Bye. Bye.